electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, David Seberg, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, do not, do not adjust your TV sets. Bitcoin is back above $8,000, and there's one key hurdle the cryptocurrency needs to clear to keep the rally going. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, Wall Street's raging bull, Tony Dwyer, is here. And though he can fight, he'd rather recite all the reasons to be bullish. And he says your best chance to buy could be just around the corner. He will explain. But first, we are in the middle of the busiest week of earnings season, and it's been judgment day for a lot of stocks out there. We've had some big winners like Eli Lilly this morning, some big losers like Netflix, which is now down double digits since its report last week. But check out what's on deck to report this week. Oh, McDonald's, one of the losers heading into the report, down 4% in the past month. Boeing is up 6%. Facebook also up 6%. Gilead up 9% in the month leading up to its earnings. So, how do you separate the future winners from the losers here? There's no other way to but to play. Trade it or fake it. Oh, no other way at all. No other no way. We have no choices. The only way, the only way to play Gilligan's Island it. music and you've got you it. Faded faded. Faded. Guy is probably the best, the most adept at playing this oh, game. He's... So we're going to kick it off with Guy. <laughs> Facebook <laughs> is reporting earnings tomorrow. You trade it or you fade it. So trust it or flush it. That's what I came up. <laughs> you like that? Is that better? No. Much more. Because I had buy it or deny it. Nobody liked that. That sounds I, awfully close to something else. You don't I'm like trust it or flush it? it? I'm trying, no. though, because, because trade it or fade it, we've had this conversation. Trade it doesn't make you sense. Want to own I'm going to say fade, fade it. Means I'm going to say fade it. it. So you want to sell it. Full disclosure, when, when this whole Cambridge Analytica thing came out, I thought this stock was going to be mired at 145 for a long time. David Seberg, to my right, said, no, no, not so fast. It's going higher. Stock has rallied 48% since then. Wow. That's a pretty ridiculous move. Now, if you're asking me what's going to happen, I think it's going to continue to rally into earnings. I think they'll post a good number. It's rallied stock, 48% since when? And I th- since, since the, the Cambridge, it was Cambridge $145 stock the when, they, when that bottom. thing went down. But it never should have gone down. Well, we can argue. My point is this. Great numbers, fade it post-earnings. So flush it after they were... Thank you. Fade it. Fade it. Well, I like I, it. I mean, go I think ahead, the stock's David. great. Look, I mean, I, I, I know that the stock's had a big move from the bottom off when, it, when the Cambridge Analytica stuff came out. But ultimately, our ad buyer sort of, you know, surveys that we do show and suggest that buyers have not absolutely faded from the platform. As a matter of fact, they're going to spend a lot more on the platform next year than they anticipated in the, in, through the end of this year. So I would buy it here. I think it's going to be Look, I mean, order. the platform, if, if, you know, Facebook subscribers or users are still into using the centralized platform. Look, uh, Facebook's cheap for a reason, and I would point out that even before Cambridge Analytica, Facebook was underperforming the internet space and certainly underperforming some of their peers. I I actually think that Facebook, to me, at this point, is a stock that's run way too far and is not pricing in any risk. I would absolutely trade it. No, 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 fade no, it. You fade would fade it. it. Like I said. No, 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 I mean, that's no. the wrong one. <laughs> you would sell it. All right, so look, let's be clear here. Okay, We're, thank you. I just want All to point right. something out. We've been yes. stuck on Gilligan's Island now for a long time, and, I, and I'm a little confused. You should put your glasses on. So you Are can, you Gilligan? So I'm trading it. No, well, I don't know. We should actually decide who, who on this desk is who. I know, I mean, yeah. Obviously, guys, the professor. 
hands down owl. Okay, Karen, you're a shareholder. Well, let me, yeah, I'm a shareholder. I don't agree with almost every word that just came out of your mouth regarding Ooh, thank Facebook. You. Thank you. But often that. I do, but in this particular case, I don't. I mean, when you that last quarter they put up was stunning, right? And then yesterday we saw Google uh, Alphabet's numbers also stunning. So unless you really think that Alphabet's just Taking share, which I do not. I believe that the pie is growing and that they are going to be a huge beneficiary. And I mean, the value of Instagram. I am long. I, I think that the GDPR actually is a benefit to both them and to, to Alphabet. I am trading it. All right. Mm -hmm. Let, let's get to the All loser right. of the group here. Do you remember the loser? E? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. I just Everybody's I should have said me. I'm sorry. Full of I'm sorry. vinegar tonight. I love, All right. Love the crowd, uh, McDonald's the is the loser of the group, and it goes to Tim. <laughs> trade it or pay it? Right. Um, I trade it. I trade it. And I look at what's going on in the fast food space. I think there are headwinds in the form of higher labor costs, possibly some input costs. But I think this is a global company that's reinventing itself again. Fresh beef, et cetera. I'm not too worried about the recent food scare. Um, I think Steve Easterbrook has both reinvigorated the brand and I think globally what we've seen is extraordinary but really the strength is in the US market same store sales are back um, the skipper is not going hungry at McDonald's I agree I think Easterbrook's done an amazing job here I think you say fresh beef is coming back they are absolutely bringing it back I think their their menu selections have improved this is a stock I absolutely would buy here I think for the long term you can't go wrong owning McDonald's I agree, but it's not. I'm not going to McDonald's. I'm going for the cheeseburgers. Fresh beef, no fresh beef. I don't care. Fresh or frozen, you're eating the I'm cheeseburgers. I'm eating, and then it tastes better frozen, by the way. And the stock has basically been basing at 160 now since February-ish. So I think it's ready to take the next leg higher. So if I'm playing this game, which clearly we are, I'm, yes. I'm buying. You are playing. You're buying. You're buying. It. You're buying. You're buying it. He's you're trading. Buying these games. It's as if we had a buy it stamp. Trade it. Trade it. <laughs> But we have a traded stamp. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Oh, you got it right. I saw right. the green. Um, yeah. Boeing is the next one, up 6% in the past month. Karen, what do you say about Boeing, which had been, I mean, we're playing another game with Boeing. Is it a trade tariff stock or not? Okay. No. Uh, That's not the game. That's, That's not, not the game. game. No, not right. the game. It's, getting it's still traded or faded. All right, just let me ask one more question <laughs> about the game. If I were to say faded, that's not short it. That's just not long it, right? Yes. Okay, so I would fade it. I wouldn't be short Boeing. However... I mean, I think, you know, it's a fantastic company. They seem to be hitting on all cylinders. To me, it comes to valuation. Plus, I think they do have some tariff risk here. I really do. I think if also you look at how their, their end customers trade, very cyclically. cyclically. The stocks trade very cyclically. This stock used to be a cyclical stock. You know, the PE multiple would move all over. Now the PE multiple has gone one way for four years. It's in the, you know, mid to high 20s. That's too expensive for me for what I still believe the cyclical conditions of this business exist. They're just not evident right now. All right, Tim. See, I almost disagree with everything out of Karen's mouth. Okay. I mean, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, I, I do disagree with the fact that I, I don't think this stock is necessarily as exposed to the trade front. In fact, I think you could wipe out uh, the Chinese portion of their book, and this is about 3% of their overall valuation. Ridiculously cash flow positive, and that's really what's been going on with this company. I also look at the, the length of the cycle on an airline order and the you know, there's two players in town, they and Airbus. Who's the better player? It's Boeing. I trade it. Yeah, that, I, mean, I agree. I, I trade it here. I, I think that's a free ca cash flow story here. I think the China impact is really just way overblown. I think it's overblown because China just can't cancel any orders that they have in the pipeline with Boeing and go to Airbus because there's a nine-plus-year backlog at Airbus. So they're kind of locked into Boeing. I don't think the trade, you know, sort of fight here or you know, argument is, is, a, is a reason not to buy this stock, I would be a buyer. Can I ask a question before I tell you yeah. my answer? 
Did it ever strike you, Mel, as odd that Thurston and Mrs. and Lovey had like every piece of luggage they ever owned right, for a three-hour three tour? tour. Made London makes, and if they're it millionaires, made, why are they with those hacks? And why are they that's going the on that? That's the big question. Why are they on such a small boat with they, a lot of other with people? With five other people. I agree. Well, hold on. It's that not with five it. other people. The, the Gillen and the Skipper were part of the count. crew. But Marianne and Ginger, what were they, they doing? They got chucked in. Look, I could see, anyway, I could see Thurston and Mrs. I say trade this one. And listen, I know what Karen's saying. It probably is a little ahead of its skis. But if you look at what Lockheed Martin said, tre tremendous quarter. Boeing's quarters is nothing to sneeze at. I think valuation actually might be reasonable. And I think there's a very good chance it takes out the all-time high we saw earlier this year. Last but not least, the big winner, Gilead, up 9% in the past month, along with a stealth rally in the biotech sector overall. Look, I think Gilead's a buy here. I mean, I've been saying that for a long time. I think they're going to make a meaningful acquisition. That's going to be transformative for them. But I look at numbers and say the setup going into earnings is actually pretty good. I mean, last quarter, their HCV franchise, Street was modeling numbers is way too high. So I think all that's been de-risked, digested. Actually, I'm shocked the stock wasn't up more today. When you look at GlaxoSmithKline had data on their HIV franchise, that was a little disappointing. That should have given Gilead a boost. So I think the valuation is cheap. This is a name you got to buy here. I say fade. I say Ooh. fade. Not that I don't like it. But every time, the last couple of quarters, every time this company opens their mouth, the stock goes down 8%. What's going to change this quarter? You're right. I mean, they're going to make another acquisition, and maybe you'll get a bounce. But it ain't going to happen when they report. And I think there's a very good chance, based on the fact the stock's going from 65 to 77, we're going to see a fade move. So I say fade it there, Melms. I'm with David. I think I, which would be trade it, I guess. I think, you know, it's gone up with the group. But also, I do think their specific expectations are not so high. The bar, the bar's sort of low here, even though the stock has moved. I trade it. All right. Well, our next guest ain't fading anything. That's because he is Wall Street's <laughs> biggest bull. But there's always a bud on Fast Money. He sees a near-term near pullback coming. Let's head over to the Plaza, where Fast Money friend Tony Dwyer, the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity, is here with his latest call, Tony. Um, we simply call him, by the way, the Raging Bull or Look Robert at that, De Niro's. That shot. That's that's very um, dramatic. Take it away, Tony. My changed hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, um, you know, I am a raging bull. There's no question about it. If you actually discount every or look at every news item this year, you wouldn't believe that the market's up as much as it is. And it's because it's following earnings. What we have is a very strong economy where um, consumer confidence, business confidence, and CEO confidence are right near a historic high. Actually, if you look at NFIB, which is small business confidence, it hit a, a cycle high in May. Historically, over the last seven cycles, there's been a 41-month lead time from a cycle high in that to a recession. Nowhere near a recession. We have a maturing millennial demographic. And what's important about this is I'm a millennial. Most people don't realize it, but I'm a millennial, guys. When I was 27, 25 years old, all I wanted was experiences. When I turned 27, I met my wife. When I turned 28, had, got married, 29, first son. 32nd one on the way. The reason I say that is the millennial demographic peak birth year is just turning 28. My niece Kate has 14 weddings this year. Home ownership and spending are on an upward trajectory, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. We also have huge earnings growth. 20% plus this quarter is probably going to be closer to 25% when it's all said and done versus the 20. What we don't have is an attractive entry point. I think, again, if you're looking for the next six months, buy it. It doesn't matter. But from a, uh, if you want to try and play, trade it a little bit better, I think we're overbought in a market where only 52% of stocks in the S&P 500 are above their 10-day in a highly volatile year, which has been our plan all year. We want to buy weakness versus chase extreme strength, and we've been overbought for some time now. 
And when you look at the earnings, one thing that I wanted to point out that's really important that most people don't realize is that profit margins, remember back here, right there where the profit margins were taking a dip, people thought you were gonna to revert to mean and we're gonna go into a recession. What I wanted to point out is every single peak in profit margins prior to a recession, every single one of them came with an inversion of the yield curve in a recession and a top line failure. So we are making a new high on profit margins. We're not peaking profit margins. We have a lot of duration here and that's why I'm a raging bull and I would buy weakness. Should Tony come over and I'm asking genuinely. I mean, he's a, he's a raging okay. bias. Well, after the Thank you, Michelle. Tony, what would make well. for an attractive entry point? Okay, so I look for the percentage of stocks above the 10-day moving average to drop below 20%. I look for the VIX to go up into the upper teens, preferably 20. I look for the investors' intelligence newsletter bulls to drop down to 45% or below. They've recently jumped up to over 55%. And I'd look for the weekly stochastic to come out of overbought. It's an extreme overbought. So I'm not, you know, please don't take this as a sell. This is not a sell. This is a weight to buy. And if you're an extreme overweight tech, I think you just cut, they stay overweight, but just cut it back. The price has given you such an overweight, you take a few chips off the table there. All right, well, let's say you have no money in the market, <laughs> right? Would you just allocate half or something and go ahead and buy even though you don't think this is a good entry point or would you wait for a good if you entry have no point? money in the market I would because I, I I gotta say you know it's I'm gonna break the cardinal rule for strategists my near-term feel stinks right now <laughs> so I you know I don't really have a high conviction on the pullback it's more of a pause than we're gonna go down five to ten percent history shows that when the rate of change for the S&P is where it recently got to on this bump up um, you have a two to five percent pullback in the context of the bull market, the, the uptrend that started in April. So I, I think that's that makes sense to me. I don't hear you stamping the table, even though you've been bullish and consistent there. So what do you do with uh, the move higher in yields this 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 week? It's not necessarily because of growth or inflation. It's because of factors we might not be able to control. Does that scare you? Would that be a, an outlier to your bull call? The thing that made me the most nervous at the end of last week was the way that the yuan was trading in China. And even today, you got a little bit of a, it looked like it was going to rebound against the dollar. This is the offshore Chinese currency. And it's had the highest 10-week rate of change in its history. That makes me a little bit nervous. The market doesn't care, and that's okay. Um, so I just, Tim, I just feel like the banks are still good because you're getting this upward pressure in yield. We did a show on that probably three weeks ago. Um, this is just an exciting and overall environment with kind of a nuanced situation where you may just want to, you know, to Karen's question, you put a third in here, you wait, put a third in on another decline, and not care about the rest of the third, just, you know, if you make a new high or if you even go down worse, add it there. No, we have a crack staff back in Englewood Cliffs, yes, as, as you know. we do. No, but, you know, they Why do you bring it up. No, I bring, bring it up, up because we, they do their homework, <laughs> and, yeah, we actually do have some. We just want to know what it was like working with De Niro back in the day. I mean, look, check. Look, yeah, I mean, look how, I mean, look at the resemblance. Buddy, I'm on this show. I can take a punch. Go ahead. We're, we're, we're pacifists Yeah, go to my here. Twitter. You'll see I'm fast. taking a punch. Tony, thank you. It's Tony great to be here. Thank you, Mel. Great. Giddy up. Hashtag giddy up. Look, I, I mean, I think everybody I talk to says 2,800, we're going to get to 2,800 and you fade it. You fade it at 2,800. And, and whenever that sort of happens, that narrative or that discussion occurs, we always break through it and end up going higher. So I agree with Tony. There's a, a big risk that we do have a little bit of a near-term pullback. At some point, I just don't think it's right now. I think we're going to continue to move up to that level at least, if not break through it, and then maybe have a little bit of a sell-off.
All right, coming up, check out shares of AT&T reporting earnings moments ago. CEO Randall Stevenson is speaking to investors right now. We'll tell you what he said about the company's mega merger with Time Warner. Plus, the Bitcoin bulls, they're back. The cryptocurrency hitting a two-month high, soaring past $8,000. But our very own crypto baller says there is one thing that has to happen to keep that rally going. He'll explain. Hi, Tim. Hi. And later, Pot Stocks have been burning out with some of the biggest names down double digits in the past month. Tim here says the bad times are over. He'll step up to the plate, tell us which name he thinks will lead a turnaround. <clears throat> we are live from New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story. Asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on AT&T. It's falling in the after-hour session. Let's get to Julia Vorson in Los Angeles with the details. Julia. Melissa, AT&T falling because it missed on revenue expectations, but it did beat on earnings while the company raised its outlook for earnings over the course of 2018. Now, the call that is going on right now is less about results from the quarter and more about the strategy of the newly combined AT&T and Time Warner renamed Warner Media. Take a listen to CEO Randall Stevenson. We've now assembled the key elements of a modern media company, and it all begins with owning a wide array of premium content because we are absolutely convinced that there is nothing that drives customer engagement like high-quality premium content. And whether it's Netflix, Amazon, Google, Disney, or Comcast, everybody is now pursuing the same thing. In an unusual move for AT&T on this call, Stevenson was joined by all of the division heads, including Warner Media chief John Stanky. He said they want to invest in more original premium content for HBO. Stevenson and Stanky also talked about how they're investing in advertising as well as mobile capabilities and how all of those different investments will enable them to have a valuable direct relationship with consumers. You take these three elements, premium content, 170 million direct-to-consumer relationships and great ad technology, and then you combine those with our high-speed networks, and we think all of this is a game-changer. Bringing these four elements together has changed the way we think about our customer value proposition. We spend our time now thinking about how to combine these elements to create unique customer experiences. Now, as for cord cutting, the company says gains in digital streaming services such as DirecTV Now are compensating for declines in the traditional video business, saying that their new $15 watch TV service has helped drawing in cord cutters and cord nevers. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. You know what CEO Randall Stevenson said on the conference call as well as what Julia had highlighted? We are now a modern media, media company. company. So what kind of multiple should AT&T have? 
Well, I tell you what, it's a, it's a multiple that's at the bottom of its historical range. So if you look at it right now, it's trading, it's, 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 trading, yeah. it's trading telco, it's trading um, worst of the telco bunch. And, and whether they are losing the war in wireless, I think the wireless business, uh, first of all, is I think becoming mildly less competitive. I think the short term is actually better for these guys in that front. But I, I think the content that they got here, especially when you look at the multiples being attached to people that have it, um, I, I don't know why these guys shouldn't be trading a higher multiple. I'm along AT&T. Uh, it's been a difficult trade for nine months, but I'm staying in the trade. I don't know. Does saying you're a modern media company make you a modern media company? I don't know. That's it. Seems to me if a lot of your revenue comes from elsewhere, maybe not. Right. So, you know, I, I'm always concerned about businesses that make a very big strategic shift. Maybe that's great. Maybe that's the right thing to do. But I think it introduces another element of risk mm -hmm. and a balance sheet risk. With the strategic shift, I mean, he underscores this race for content. It underscores the fact that there are many more players within the same space. Is this in part, perhaps, why Netflix is down about 11 percent since it reported earnings so last week? So is competition week? catching up to yes. Netflix finally? I, I would submit no. I don't, I th clearly, there is competition. I think the last quarter is more a function of the fact that they said internally it's had some accounting problems in terms of how they're looking at their metrics. And you give them a pass. Stocks still think it's going lower for a lot of different reasons. I think it trades back down to the April level, which was mm. 305. But I'll say this. You said they're a modern media company. Then should they still have the same dividend yield that they have now if they're a mo modern media? I don't know. I'm right. just throwing it out there. Look, I think two things. I think Karen's point's exactly right on, spot on, that there's integration risk here that people have to price in. So that's why the stock, in my opinion, is trading where it is at the multiple it's trading at. at the, given the, the, the dividend that this company has, I think it's a buy here. I would buy the stock, actually, for that reason alone. As far as Netflix is concerned, the competition doesn't bother me at all. I mean, this is not a zero-sum game. There are multiple, multiple venues that could exist within this, this sort of arena. I think Netflix has got scale. And they've got the ability there can to be, but the market overall doesn't grow. I mean, the, the number of hours people can spend watching TV or watching programming finite. is but, but finite, to, in you, theory. Agreed, but you look at Prime memberships. Our, we've done studies where we've said people that have Prime memberships are more apt to have a Netflix uh, membership, and there's but, a reason for that, because it's not zero-sum. I think your point, Mel, though, is exactly why Netflix is priced way too high. I mean, there's no way that it could ever grow into that valuation. And look at HBO as a vehicle that could look a lot like Netflix. I think Time Warner's very well positioned. Yeah, I mean... You know, the, the issue here is, Guy, I know you spend, what, 10 hours a day watching mm. TV. Mm -hmm. There's only, you know, if you divide that up, somebody's going to lose, even if, you know, at the margins. Somebody's going to lose. But, who's, but, lose. but who has such a head start? I'm, I'm with David, although I think Netflix trades lower, but who has such a ridiculous head start that it's going to be very hard for the competition to catch up with them? I think it's Netflix. Netflix shot themselves in the foot this past quarter, and I think they're paying the price. I don't right. think they'll make that mistake again. But they're not getting paid on active. It's not like an active user model. I mean, it's a subscription-based model where you could not even turn it on. You're still paying your You've fee. You've got to have great content. You know, I was searching through Netflix, and granted, what I want to watch is not what everybody wants to watch on Saturday mm -hmm. night for, for a movie. And I got to tell you, oh, they've got a be. lot of Netflix-owned content. Some of it's good. Most of it, to me, is, is totally vacuous. And I think, you know, think about what Time Warner has. The collection of those assets is extraordinary. That and Disney, to me, are the best out there. Well, the competition's threatening. They're not here yet. I think it was just the valuation on Netflix that was off, not so much the competitive landscape. That's enough. Coming up, pot stocks, they're burning out this month, but Tim Seymour says there's one name that could light the whole space on fire. He mm. will tell us what that is and maybe even give us another hot, hot time. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Be very, very quiet. 
I'm hunting. Yield, because with the crash in bonds, a number of stocks are sporting some pretty big dividends. The traders will tell you which ones they're buying when they go yield hunting. Plus, one small step for a coin, one giant leap for all cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is crashing through 8K, but crypto baller BK says a major obstacle is ahead. He will explain when Fast Money returns. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Bitcoin bulls are back in town. The cryptocurrency breaking through $8,000 near the levels it was at right before the Thanksgiving holiday surge last November, that fateful week when it seemed like everyone was buying into the Bitcoin hype. Bob Pisani is at the New York Stock Exchange to break it all down. Hi, Bob. Hi, Melissa. The Bitcoin rally continues. It's up 6% today, passing $8,000 for the first time in two months. And trading volume in Bitcoin futures at the CME hit a record high today. The reason? Well, there's been plenty of speculation that a Bitcoin ETF might be approved by the SEC. An ETF filed by Van Eck at the end of June has been getting a lot of attention. Many are hopeful that the SEC might approve it at the end of a 45-day comment period. That would be at the end of August. But approval so soon, at least in my opinion, is very unlikely. Here's the issue. Today, the SEC delayed a decision on five other Bitcoin ETFs that had been filed by the NYC way back in January. The SEC said they needed more time to study the proposals and approve or disapprove of it. And this is likely going to be the story with other Bitcoin ETFs. The SEC will seek a longer comment period. You know, back in January, the SEC sent a letter to the ETF industry asking 31 questions that would need to be answered before they approved the Bitcoin ETF. Now, several Bitcoin ETFs have been refiled recently to try to answer some of these questions, including this Van Eck proposal. And my bet is that today's delay by the SEC indicates the SEC is still not satisfied with the answers and they'll continue to delay approval. Meantime, there's a new entry into the Bitcoin ETF race. Bitwise Asset Management filed a registration statement for a publicly offered cryptocurrency index ETF. The new ETF will not just track Bitcoin, it's going to track the returns of Bitwise's market cap weighted indexes of the 10 largest cryptos, the whole 10 index. This is the first application for an index Bitcoin ETF. My bet, a Bitcoin ETF may come eventually, but it's not imminent. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. So is the Bitcoin rally for real? 
our very own crypto baller says there is one more key hurdle Bitcoin needs to overcome. Brian Kelly joins us at the Plasma to tell us what that is. Hi, Beeks. Hey, Melissa. So, yeah, these are the hurdles that Bitcoin has to get through, right? So this, to me, feels like a very real rally. It feels like we're at the beginning stages of another bull market. That's my view on it. However, we've had a tremendous run-up because of the ETF that uh, Bob just talked about, and it's all been in Bitcoin. So the hurdle that Bitcoin has to get through is what if this ETF is either rejected, the SEC asks people to withdraw the application, or it's delayed. I think some people in the market are under the impression that you could have this ETF come in August. I would be very cautious making that bet, particularly after the run. Now, what's interesting, remember last year when we had the ETF, the Winklevoss ETF came, uh, was rejected. It actually boosted altcoins. So we've seen Bitcoin outperform. Altcoins have been flat. Coins like uh, Ethereum, coins like Ripple, that type of thing, have been flat because all the money's been flowing into uh, Bitcoin. So this could mean that altcoins, if the ETF is delayed, you could see money flow out of Bitcoin and into the others. So let's just take a look at the performance here. Let me hit clear so we don't have any of those lines, and then we'll look at the next chart. This is what I'm talking about. See how tightly correlated they are here? And then all of a sudden this month, Bitcoin really starts to outperform. And that's all ETF performance. So if you're looking at it today and you're saying, hey, I want to get into Bitcoin, I'd be cautious getting into it at these levels if you're betting on an ETF coming out anytime soon. I think BK should come over. It'd be kind of awkward if we didn't yeah, invite right? him over. And then on the other day, he's here at the desk. We've been so offered come before. Over, BK. All right, let's do it. <laughs> awkwardness has not so. escaped us before. <laughs> I guess so. we're not afraid of awkwardness. We're, we're. Here's my question to you in terms of the differentiation in trade between Bitcoin and the rest of the coins. Is it perhaps because people are getting ready to reload on the other coins and you have to tr transfer money from fiat into Bitcoin in order to buy the altcoins? That, that can be part of it. And, you, you know, you'll see really the initial part is you get Bitcoin or Ethereum. Those are the easiest, biggest things to buy. And, yeah, then you transfer and buy the altcoins. This ETF story has caught a lot of steam, though, and I think that's really what's got people into it. But there's no question. You could see that money rotate back into the alts. Doesn't it, for Ethereum really to catch up, wouldn't it need a lot of these ICOs to, to sort of come to, to fruition? And we need regulation to sort of lift its head up a little there for, for that to occur? Uh, I don't think Ethereum has to have a lot of ICOs come to fruition. I mean, I think something like, uh, you know, I, I, as long as the, the Augur, right, that right. is the new one that has been built on top of Ethereum. That's actually proven to be pretty well. So that's kind of a proof of concept. I think that's enough to get Ethereum get going. So when you talk about a Bitcoin ETF, is that going to be, you think, primarily a retail product? And how much retail money do you need? To move Bitcoin, which is now, what, 130-some-odd billion of yeah. market cap? It will unlikely be a retail product. The Vanek product is priced at $200,000 a share, specifically to kind of weed out a retail client. Um, I think maybe Q1, or I'm sorry, not Q1, but 2019, we could probably have a retail-facing ETF. Um, and, and specifically on how much it needs, you need to move Bitcoin right now, it doesn't take as much as it did back in January or February. Even though liquidity is great, um, you can still move it around quite a bit. I mean, listen, uh, J.P. Morgan did, a, did an estimate back when Bitcoin, back November, when Bitcoin went from 8000 to 20000 That was about $6 billion that came in, um, and it moved it that much. So it wouldn't take too much. I mean, 
Six billion's a lot to me, but not to somebody like Guy. That's mm. interesting. I mean, <laughs> what you say about weeding out the retail investor, why would you do that? Especially when I, I get that we want yeah. institutional players, and I get Vanek is a, you know, has a lot of massive institutional products, or at least products that are large enough liquidity for institutions to trade them. Yeah. But isn't this really about getting anyone easy access and simplifying the process? Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I can't speak for Van Eck, but my understanding is the SEC put out this list of 31 different things you had to uh, accomplish. And one of them was they wanted to protect the smaller retail investor. So Van Eck's response, as I understand it, was let's make the share price so high that it's prohibitively high for a retail investor to get in. But this in. would right. be a, a very easy way for institutions and hedge funds to get in because you solve the custodial issue, right? right? So they don't actually have to deal with it themselves. Right. They could just outsource that to uh, whatever ETF company. Yeah. That's sure. right. The problem is the custodial issue is it's still there. Soft, yeah. It's still right. there. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's a whole issue. That, yeah. yeah. Well, that's but that's also a hurdle. People that are betting that an ETF is coming like soon. I think that's unlikely because there isn't a really good custodial solution. Maybe Q4 this year. Okay. Speakers, thank you. My pleasure. Brian Kelly, our crypto baller. Right. I can't ask Brian to tell Brian a question because we goodbye the guest there. But if he were, if we were playing the game with Brian. Traded or faded, like we with did at what? the top of the show with, with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I think Brian why can't would we probably play? say faded. Why we can't could we play buy with you? him already. Yeah. Oh wait, there he is. Oh, he's oh, back. Yeah, he's back. back. <laughs> Imagine that. You know, I did sell some Bitcoin today. I'm a trader in this. It's not necessarily a reflection on what I think about Bitcoin in the long run. But today, I took some off the table. I mean, it's been so a great faded run. It. So he faded it. Yeah, so it. I would fade it. Exactly. Very nice. He yeah. can play the game. See? Yeah. I love that. Oh. And, and, and welcome yeah. back, BK. Nice to see you. Thank, Thank you, you very problem. much, Brian <laughs> Kelly. Thanks, Go ahead. Guy. Pot stocks on a bad trip. <laughs> the group getting absolutely smoked in the last month. Oh, but our man. resident oh. cannabis king, oh, Tim man. Seymour here, says there's one name that's about to light up. He will tell us what that is. Plus, interest rate sensitive stocks sinking this week as a 10-year soars to just under 3%, the yield that is. So where should you turn in the market for a little extra income? The traders will go yield hunting. Another great game with fast money returns. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Rates on the rise, causing investors to go hunting for yield. Our Dom Chu is in the newsroom for us with those details. Hi, Dom. Well, Melissa, interest rates had been stuck in a rut with just about no volatility for the last few weeks. That is until yesterday when speculation about the Bank of Japan possibly changing its strategy on monetary policy, sending treasuries falling and rates shooting higher. As those rates have been generally forecast to head higher, we took a look at the S&P 500 index and found the highest yielding stocks there. Are these names that are at all attractive to traders on the hunt for yield? There are currently around 13 stocks in the S&P that have dividend yields that are north of 5%. Some are in traditionally yield-rich sectors, like the real estate investment trusts, Maestrich or Ventus, with a 5.2 and 5.5% yield, respectively. Or how about a couple of consumer discretionary stocks that have hit harder times as of late? You've got Ford, also L Brands. Ford currently has a yield of 5.7% and L Brands has a 7.7% yield. The yield hunt, though, a tricky game. What is that balance between price depreciation and the safety of the current dividend? Interest rates, of course, on savings accounts, certificates of deposit, and other cash instruments are on the rise. According to Bankrate.com, you can currently find a one-year CD yielding around 2.5% and five-year CDs yielding around 3%. Melissa, there may actually now be some risk-adjusted competition for higher-yielding stocks. Back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you. Dom, to you in the newsroom. So given the numbers, we thought this would be a great time to play. Another game. Yes. What's this? Yield game? hunting. 
This, if you can believe, is one of our more controversial games here on the desk. <laughs> but I know our viewers at home are very smart and they can follow along. Here's how it works in case you've forgotten. Let's take L Brands, for example. 7% uh, dividend yield. If the traders like it, they will say bullseye. And you see and you hear this. Uh -huh. If they do not like it, they will say let it go. You'll see <laughs> and hear this. Okay, makes sense? So intuitive. Karen's taking notes. Karen's okay, yeah, it's time to go hunting. Sure. <laughs> and Karen, we will start yes. off with you. I have every confidence you <laughs> right. will play this game properly. L Brands L is the Brands. example. Dividend yield of 7%. Bullseye. I don't love things because of the dividend yield. This one I actually think is so cheap. They, they do spend a ton buying back stock. If anything, I think they could tamp that down if they wanted to keep the dividend yield. So, uh, so bullseye. That was perfectly played. Thank I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm going to try to do the same. Bullseye, because I actually think this company's gotten too cheap. We know what's going on in Victoria's Secret. Uh, Bath and Body Works is actually doing quite well. I think the sentiment around this discretionary play, I've seen it go on in the sector. I think the stock's making a turn earnings uh, in about a month, and I think they're worth playing on. All right, let's uh, go to Ford, 5% dividend yield. David Seberg, what do you say? Uh, look, I mean, I'd buy Ford here. Again, I don't no. love the play stocks. Oh, whatever, bullseye, bullseye, bullseye. <laughs> Amazing. Have you we not been listening to any of us? <laughs> I think that this is a name where, again, I don't buy just stocks with a dividend, but this is a name that's following GM's playbook when it comes to their self-driving car program. I mean, they could actually get some third-party investments that could actually spook this up. This is a name that's worth buying here given its valuation, so I would be a buyer of Ford. Guy Dami. Ford. I would say, what's bullseye. the other thing? The bullseye or? Let it go? Let, let it, it go. go. Let it go. Let it fly the duck. I don't know why let it go. I mean, if Ford hasn't rallied, the last six years have been the best in the history. I mean, the market goes straight up. Auto sales through the roof. Ford can't get out of its own way. You explain that to me. So if Ford can't go higher now, when is it going to go higher? So shoot the duck. Lose the bullseye. No, you don't shoot, move you let it go. You don't, shoot the, you don't shoot anything. You're letting it go. What do you mean? It's a good thing we don't make operating okay. systems for phones and things. We need to be intuitive, right? <laughs> Any way at all. All right, moving on. Ventus. Ventus. 5% dividend yield. Tim. Right. So the REIT world, these guys are heavily in the healthcare field, preventative care. Uh, I actually think that their uh, their history in allocation, capital allocation, is very, very good. But this is not my type of investment. I actually don't buy things for yield. I'm going to let this one fly. Let no. it go. Enough. Whatever. Are you serious? It's very close. We understand what you're doing. <laughs> All right. And Guy, we're going to back to you. How about going down I'm to the so bank happy. and putting your money in a one-year CD you at can. a rate of 2.5%. That's why I get a one-year CD at 2.5%. You ever seen the movie Run Silent, Run Deep? Remember that? Yeah. It's probably... No. I mean, I love that Can movie. Can you just but, tell me why you're Well, it's a submarine, yeah, and you put the crosshairs on your target. So Dime. bullseye on that you one. Go bullseye on yeah, that one. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's free money. That's free. One year, 2.5%. For one whole year, you're going to lock your money up for just 2.5%. 10, 10, what's the 10 year now? 3, 3%? But, but, I mean, better but, but one guy, year, 2.5% than 10 to, year, the Fed 3. goes two more times this year, and you right. buy in a two year note that's north yeah, of 3%, yeah. and you probably have an environment where we're going to slow down the economy. So, you're, so he's shooting it. So he's letting it go. I'm just telling you why, you know. If you yeah. can do two and a half percent, maybe that's telling you, you something about equities. Maybe no. Well, that's no. not the game. That's, that's a whole different game. Where do you? Sorry, I'm not playing from? the game right either. Just, Crosshairs, you know. bullseye. All right. all right, back to you. Coming up, the payment stock. This one is up more than 50 percent in the last year, just an all-time high today. Some of the traders here think it could go even higher when it reports earnings this week. Can you guess what that is? Plus, Tim's hitting the grass.
I mean, field. Warming up there. <laughs> Pinch the one pot stock, he says, is about glasses. to go rip higher. They're a little small on Tim, don't you think? Um, will the other traders give it a try? Find out when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The once hot pot stocks have been taking a big hit recently. Let's get out to Aditi Roy in San Francisco, who's got more on what could be behind the burnout. Hey, Aditi. Oh, man. Hi there, Melissa. I know. Look at the funds. A number of big cannabis names are coming down from highs, adding another pun there. It's been a pretty tough month for them. Companies taking a hit include Emerald Health Therapeutics. It's down 35% over the past month. Aurora Cannabis down 28%. Canopy Growth down 24% this month. And Kronos Group is down 14% for the month. It's quite a contrast from earlier this year when many of these Canadian-based companies saw a rise in shares. It all happened in the run-up to the legalization of recreational marijuana in Canada last month. Analysts I've talked to say part of the reason for this decline this month is that shares rose so much leading up to the Canadian Senate vote, they needed to come back down to more reasonable prices. And reality has also set in. Regulators in Canada are coming out with more information. Provinces are also making decisions on which companies will be approved to sell their recreational products and which companies will not be allowed. That's deflated some of the momentum. But some analysts say the news isn't all that bad for marijuana companies. In fact, GMP Security says that sometimes a pullback is healthy because it brings investors back into the space. They predict pot stocks will light up again as we get closer to the October 17th date. That's a date that recreational marijuana will become legal in Canada. Back to you. All right. Aditi, thanks. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Well, who else do we turn to other than our own cannabis king? Tim Seymour here. Tim says there's a new pot stock that's about to get high. So, Tim, head over to the plasma. Yeah, so, so look, I mean, one of the things that Aditi brought up is the fact this entire sector has actually had a major pullback. And it's the classic sell the fact. And the fact was that Canada finally went to legal rec. So I want to talk to you about Tilray because massive week in the cannabis space. You had Tilray, which was the largest and the first... New money raised in the U.S. market. That's a big deal. And I think that's exactly why you want to think about this company. From a capital markets perspective, who's behind this company? Privateer, one of the big private equity companies, uh, private equity funds that, that clearly has helped position this company as being one of the ways to play it. I think they're going to continue to be a part of every major conduit for owning it. Bottom line, global growth. These guys continue to be selling not just in Canada, where they have major medical license and they're very well positioned, but to the EU, to Africa, to South America. These are all parts of the global story. And as I said, this is really a sector play. So one of the things that people are very upset about with the entire sector right now is, is it's run too far ahead of itself. And if you look at this chart, even with Tilray, in the course of 72 hours, you've effectively seen what happened with this IPO. You start, you IPO'd at 17, you went up through here, and ultimately we were at $33 intraday yesterday. You could have bought it there, and now you're down already 30%. You have to be careful here, folks. And what I want to stress is Tilray is a very expensive company on valuation. It's even expensive to some other names that are traded in the over-the-counter market or some very well, uh, I think, run companies, as is Tilray. So, again, it's about where's their production. It's where they have take-or-pay contracts. There are guys in this space that are probably cheaper, but I think this is a long-term play in the sector. Guy? That was my question to Tim. Would, would valuation be a concern here? Obviously, IPO'd at 17, had that run up. Do we retest the IPO price? I think you could, and, and I want to be really clear that I think the, the way investors need to play the sector right now is look for those companies that have take-or-pay contracts that are actually 
guaranteed money where they have production growth and they don't necessarily have to bank on growth. So could we test that level again, the way it traded today? I would not be surprised. You've had a nice pullback, folks, and that's why I think it's worth talking about this company, not at 33, but 27. All right, time to vote now. Are you buying Tim's pitch on Tilray? Karen? I, I sort of pass that along to the next one. You know, I don't like the valuation. I'm very intrigued by the space, though. All right. Seabird? Well, I, I could say I'm, I'm, I'm restricted from talking about this stock. We did the deal. Cowan, lead left on the deal. Enough said. That's it. I mean, that's my answer in a nutshell. Okay. Somewhat self-serving there with the man to my right. right. The fact that they mash up that Dusty Springfield song is upsetting to me, but so I think we retest <laughs> the IPO price of 17. And so I think Tim Seymour is in a court. He makes a yes, compelling yeah. argument, but I think we retest that price. I don't know so how to categorize these deny things. Deny it. <laughs> All right. The desk, whatever they, I mean, they're not buying it. <laughs> Basically, are you at home, though, hitting Tim's pitch ooh, ooh. for Tilray? Vote in our Twitter poll, CNBC Fast Money. The results later on in the show. Plus, let's get a sneak peek inside the Mad Money studio with our Kramer cam. And tonight, Jim is talking about why the high-flying fang stocks could be undervalued right now. That is at the top of the hour. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in New York City. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is time to play a little stock Jeopardy. The answer is this stock is breaking out. Here are the clues. It has a market cap of $105 billion. In the past year, it surged 56%. It hit a fresh all-time high today. So do you know what it is? Time's up. What is PayPal? Mm. Shares of the payment company have been on a tear this year, now up more than 24% since January. This, while the rest of the payment space has also been on fire with the stock gearing up to report earnings tomorrow. There is one trader betting this hot stock is about to cool off, though. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with all the details. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so PayPal, which averages a move of about four and a quarter percent, is implying a slightly larger move than that, about five percent this time around. We saw a very large trade today on three times the average options volume. Somebody paid 60 cents for 6,000 weekly, 91.88.85 put butterflies. They're targeting that $88 price by Friday. That would be a decline of about 3.2 percent from where it was currently trading. So not as big as the options market is implying but certainly a move that would be to the downside. Anybody like PayPal or dislike PayPal? I like, look, I like PayPal. I think the valuation is now at a place where it's challenging, but I think they've moved to a more asset light model. I think there's no question to me these guys are in the right space. I agree. I like, I like PayPal for a long-term trade. This is something you want to own. Look, I, I think they basically have virtually no debt, this company. And, and this is a, a company that's actually taking share away from the likes of Visa and other payments. So I would stick with it here. Would you rather? I love this game. It's three games. That's fantastic. It's all wrapped up in one. It's like a turkey. Okay. Square or PayPal? Square or square? Okay. Square. The last outside move was to the downside in PayPal. Three quarters ago, it was down 8%. Leather moves have been small, up 3%, 2%. So maybe Mike Coe, who's on Options Action every Friday at 530, is on to something. Nice. All right. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice yeah. there. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe in San Francisco. And as Guy mentioned, Options Action is on Fridays, starring Mike Coe, among others, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Former First Lady Nancy Reagan famously said, just say no. And apparently the message stuck. Because that's what America's doing with Tim's pitch, passing on the grass while listening to Tony Braxton. It was 
It was terrible. It was like 75% so no. Look, it was almost uh, Celine Dion time. Almost Celine Dion. It was an explainer, if anything, All but right. I, I understand okay. the valuation not great. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's talk about something where I think the valuation trade. is great. Final GM, trade. they report tomorrow. This is a name I feel very good about. Karen. Yes, well, if it's good enough for uh, bullseye or let it fly or whatever, it's good enough for me for final trade. L Brands, I like it. I think nice. there's a comeback in the future. All right, that'd be bullseye, by the way. Okay, uh, David Seberg. Buying the uh, IBBs, I think money's going to shift from the XBI into the IBBs now. I'd be a buyer. Guy. I tra I'm trade Chevron, not fade, trade. Back oh, you to got you. it, finally. Only you shooting the bird? 59 minutes. <laughs> I'm Lizzie Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5. More Fast Mad Money starts right now. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.